if you could refer to that. The words of our reading will appear on the screen. I don't know if we've got Psalm 31. Yes, we do. I'm reading from the English Standard Version of the Scriptures. Psalm 31. To the choir master, a psalm of David. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. And for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net they have hidden for me. For you are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love, because you have seen my affliction. You have known the distress of my soul, and you have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a broad place. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and my body also, for my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me, I have been forgotten like one who is dead. I have become like a broken vessel, for I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. O Lord, let me not be put to shame, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them go silently to Sheol. Let the lying lips be mute, which speak insolently against the righteous in pride and contempt. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you, in the sight of the children of mankind. In the cover of your presence, you hide them from the plots of men. You store them in your shelter from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me. When I was in a besieged city, I had said in my alarm, I am cut off from your sight, but you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. Love the Lord, all you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Be strong and let your heart take courage. All you who wait on the Lord. 
we know the Lord will bless to us his own holy and infallible word. And thanks be to God. My dear friends, I didn't expect to be standing here this morning, but it is God's providence that that is the case. And I don't want the focus to be on the preacher this morning. I'll do my best to avoid that myself. I want to draw a focus on the God to whom David was praying in this psalm. It's an amazing thing that we can come to a psalm like this On the face of it, it might look a bit doleful, but it's quite amazing how the psalmist has worked it so that there are bright beams of light coming through his own dark experiences. One of the things I like about this psalm is that it calls upon God's protection and security all the time. And perhaps if there was any Uh, verse in this psalm that I would like to draw our attention to as a key verse, it is verse 5, perhaps for more than one reason. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. It's amazing uh, how much significance the human hand, and I'm talking of the human hand in the first instance, uh, It carries a a lot of significance for us in our lives in many ways. It has very many uses, and we don't realize that until we injure our hand, even one of uh, our digit or particularly our thumbs, if that is hurt in any way. It's uh, almost impossible, for example, I know this from my own experience, with a sore, even an, an index finger, I can't tie my shoelaces properly. It really is an effort because of a a minor injury like that. And we know also that uh, we use our hands to gesticulate, as I'm doing just now, and to make signs to other people uh, regarding what perhaps we're asking of them or what we want to communicate to them. And of course, uh, the well-known sign language of our day comes into its own for those who are impaired in their hearing for that reason. Sometimes uh, in recent uh, days going to a car wash, the the man attending the car wash will come to me and he'll put his hand up like that. And he's not telling me to stop necessarily. He's asking me, is it a five pound wash you would like? And I know that because I'm used to it. So he communicates that way. And of course, there are many uses, other uses of our hand. I can Uh, list one or two of them. We speak of being empty-handed. That's how we should be coming here today, empty-handed to worship the Lord. We talk about people being high-handed. We talk about people being handless. But the, 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 the best thing I think we can learn from the idea of hands, and this comes through in the Scriptures as well, is the idea of security. The hand is what we use to hold things with, to to grasp things with. And the hand speaks of generosity as well. It is with our hands we give. It's with our hands, of course, we receive the gift from someone else as well. 
Now, these are very straightforward ideas. And of course, we speak of giving each other a helping hand, a helping hand in times of need. And as I've already alluded to, the Bible frequently uh, use, makes these human references and, of course, more. And we only have to look to the Lord Jesus Christ and his own use of his hands of flesh during his ministry uh, on earth, touching people. The, the use he made of his hands in, in these miraculous healings and the blessings, laying his hand upon other people in blessing. And of course, even before he entered into his ministry at the end, towards the end of his life, he had been a carpenter, a skillful carpenter, as his father had been, his earthly father. And of course, Jesus' hands come into sharp focus when the time of his suffering comes to the cross. And even before that, he used his hands to break bread with his disciples as we seek to do with him today in commemoration of his death. Well, the Bible goes much further than human hands and attributes, attributes as we have in our passage here, hands or hand of God. The God who is spirit and eternal and this usually symbolizes power and protection. For example, in Psalm 118, which we will be singing in a short while, speaks of the right hand of God uh, being powerful and righteous. So what I want to do for a short while is to look at how the psalmist trusts in God's hand in his situation of urgent need. And just for simplicity, I want to subdivide the, the psalm. We'll look at uh, some points from this psalm. We won't do it comprehensively because time won't allow us to do that. But first of all, verses 1 to 8, it speaks of uh, a prayer uh, of deliverance. It could arguably say that the whole psalm is in itself a prayer of deliverance. But verses 1 to 8, the first section I want to briefly look at, then verses 9 to 18. Perhaps in there we have the continuation of this prayer of deliverance, but it's faith in the midst of suffering and sorrow. And then from verse 19 to the end of the psalm, the mood of the psalm seems to change to praise and thanksgiving for God's deliverance by his mighty hand. So, first of all, the, first, the, the focus, I think, is on God himself. Isn't that a good thing? What an appropriate place for the psalmist to, uh, to start. We don't know the historic, the exact historic context of where he is here at the moment. But he is in dire straits. He's in, he's in difficulty. In spite of his circumstances, the psalmist sees the covenant God, Yahweh, as the one who only can deliver him from his plight. In you, O, o Lord, do I take refuge. He's not looking to anyone or anywhere else for rescue 
at this time. He makes a series of references to what God is like in this first eight, these first eight verses, probably from prior experience. God had been faithful to him hitherto, and he has recognized that, and now he finds himself in a difficult situation yet again. And words like refuge and rock feature large in this prayer for deliverance. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me a strong fortress to save me. He knew that God was there, and yet in the reality of his difficulty, he had to cry to God with this urgency in his situation. He finds himself trapped in a, a desperate situation. Let me never be put to shame, he says in verse two, uh, verse one. And he says in verse two, incline your ear to me, rescue me speedily. Do it as soon as you can, Lord. Rescue me, take, take me out of this situation in which I find myself. And there seems to be no way out for him. If we go further down the Psalm, for example, when he praises God in verse 21, Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me when I was in a besieged city. Perhaps that's some uh, indicator as to the kind of situation he was in. We hear about besieged cities, even on our media nowadays in Ukraine, the city of Mariupol and Kiev itself, seemingly on the verge of being surrounded, and Mariupol particularly has featured large because of the suffering that has been experienced there. So here we have the psalmist finding himself in that sort of situation, you could say at breaking point, and he has no other hope of rescue except in God himself. It's good to also to notice in this these uh, first eight verses or so, uh, that there is a lot of reference by the psalmist to God himself in the, in the second personal pronoun, you or your, in reference to God repeatedly, showing us how the psalmist seeming, seems to be keeping God and his benevolent attributes in focus. In verse 7, I think, uh, we have the first glimpse of this uh, covenant relationship in which the psalmist is in, even though he might be really struggling with it in a situation. We find, I will, he says that I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love. And I think that phrase, steadfast love, these words are key in the psalm. It's like a silver thread which runs through the psalm. We see it in verse 16. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love because of your covenant faithfulness, sometimes translated as covenant loving kindness. It's that Hebrew word chesed that we hear sometimes mentioned from the pulpit in regards to God's relationship with his people that he will never, ever abandon them. 
Well, if there is a key verse, as I said, I think it is verse 8. You have, sorry, verse 5. Into your hand I commit my spirit, for you have redeemed. Into your hands I commit my spirit. And of course, as I mentioned earlier, this is a quotation from the cross. Or Jesus, it was one of his sayings on the cross. These words, they were one of Jesus' last utterances from, uh, from Calvary. And this is not a, a hopeless giving up in, in the psalmist's utterance. Neither was it in the utterance of Jesus. It was a victorious utterance. David, rather, knows that by committing himself into the hands of God, he knows that he will be secure, and that in spite of the difficulties that he is in surrounding him. It's interesting, in Jesus' saying, we have it quoted in Luke's Gospel in chapter 24, Into your hand I commit my spirit. And it seems to stop there. But the psalmist here says, You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. If his redemption hadn't happened right there at that moment, he was fully assured that his redemption would take place a a bit further down the line. So, it is a prayer for deliverance, and it's a prayer of faith. It's a faithful God, because he says, you have redeemed me, O Lord, O covenant God, Yahweh, faithful God. A prayer of faith, knowing that God's hands never fail to hold securely. As it's written in Scripture, I think it's in the book of Deuteronomy, The eternal God is your refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms, which include God's hands. And Jesus, very pointedly, has his people engraved on the palms of his hands. That is, there is a bond made by God over which the worst of situations, even the gates of hell, shall not prevail. So briefly, that's that first section. In verses 9 to 18, we have perhaps a greater uh, description of the kind of situation the the psalmist finds himself in. It's very descriptive of of the suffering and sorrow that he is uh, engaged in. In verses 9 and 10, there are three words that, that come out of it, for me anyway, and that's crying and sighing and failing. This is the, the, the kind of uh, situation the psalmist is finding himself in. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes wasted from grief. Crying, that is what that means. He, he's so tearful in his eyes that he can't, uh, his eyes are sore with all this. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. The situation is making him look to some extent inwardly where he finds nothing but distress and sorrow and sighing. Even because of himself, he becomes aware of his own shortcomings. 
And this is what can happen to us when we're in a hopeless situation. Even as Christians, our circumstances take over rather than the God who is above the circumstances being in the forefront of our mind. And this is when we have to abandon ourselves to him. And that is what the psalmist is doing. Now, I don't want to spend too much time in this section, but uh, it is very much an insight into the struggles, the human struggles the psalmist was engaged in as a result of his situation and the conflict of soul that he was going through. And it has to be said that this psalm must speak to us in some way of the sufferings of Christ, not only on the cross, but during his ministry because of the way he was being dealt with by others who were against him all the time. And we find that, I think, being reflected in these verses that I have. Look at verse 11 and think of the sufferings of the Lord Jesus in his ministry. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors, and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I have been forgotten like one who is dead. I have become like a broken vessel. For I hear the whispering of many, tether on every side as they scheme together against me as they plot to take my life. Speaking of the religious leaders of Jesus' day, the Jews who were out to kill him. For I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side. You know, whispering against us or whispering in the sense that there is some sort of plot or scheming going on against the person. That is what David is experiencing here. It's not, as I said earlier on, a hopeless giving up on his part. So we have faith in the midst of all of this. And we see when we come to the end of verse 13, uh, verse 13, as, as we've read, uh, at the end of it, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life, verse 14 begins with that preposition, which is so important in this context. But I trust in you, O Lord. What a lesson that is for you and for me in times of real bother, real uh, trial, if you like, if we're going through the mill as in an exper any experience in our lives, whether it is in our circumstances that seem to be uh, weighed in against us, like walls closing in towards us from every side. This is what the psalmist is saying in verse 13. He seems to be totally hemmed in terror on every side. And how much more did the Lord Jesus Christ in his sufferings on the cross experience such terror on every side? as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. But, says the psalmist, I trust in you, O Yahweh, covenant God. I say, you are my God, because 
probably he knew that God had said, you will be my people and they will be my God and I will be with them always. As Jesus himself said, to the end of the age. So when we look through this section, we find uh, the, the psalmist again acknowledging the sovereignty of God in his situation. He acknowledges in verse 15, again with reference to the hand of God, this sovereign hand that provides and protects and holds and blesses. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies. There's a, a juxtaposition between two hands there. There is one hand, the hand of God in protective, uh, benevolent, beneficent ways, dealing with them. But there is the other hand, the hand of my enemies, against him. Absolutely nothing to do for his good whatsoever, but out to get me. And again, we come to this mention of God's steadfast love in the psalmist's experience. God's covenant love was in David's line of vision. What a wonderful thing that was in the midst of difficulties. That must be the basis of our requests to God, surely. Even when David, in another psalm, that penitential psalm, Psalm 51, it begins with when, when, God, when David is asking for God's forgiveness and blessing, he uses, he bases God's forgiveness on his character of loving kindness. After your loving kindness, Lord, have mercy on me. That's what he, he says. After your loving kindness, that is what is at the root of God's salvation. That must be the basis, I think, of our requests. And so must Jesus be for us in our trials. This is where we find God's covenant loving kindness personified for us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's little wonder that uh, Paul, when he was writing to the Romans, it's almost as though he's alluding to the hand of God in faithfulness. He's, he's speaking of what can never separate us from the love of God at the end of, of Romans uh, chapter 8. When we, we read these words, if you bear with me. He says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, or danger, or sword. And here we have the psalmist experiencing tribulation, experiencing distress, experiencing persecution. And then Paul goes on to say, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors, hyper-conquerors, through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, nothing, nothing, but nothing, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. How is it with you today? How is it with you 
in your life's situation at this moment? What is going on in your life? And if you are in difficulties, where is your hope of refuge? Well, here it is. This is it for the psalmist. And this, is, this was it for Jesus himself, where he spoke, asked God and entrusted himself to God in his final moments on the cross. And then, thirdly and finally, this last section speaks to us in the psalm, a continuation of the prayer. The prayer starts on a low key, at a low key, with desperate need and uh, giving us some idea of the situation. But there seems to be a little bit of an undulation in the, pros in the progress of the psalm. It starts down here, and then it goes up a bit, and then it goes down again. And then at the end of uh, verse, uh, at verse 17, at the end of the second section, which we chose, Oh, let me not be put to shame, for I call upon you. And he asks there, uh, just a few verses before that, for God to, uh, in verse 16, to make his face shine on your servant. And then we come to this final section, verse 19. Oh, how abundant is your goodness. It seems that the darkness that the psalmist was experiencing has been dissipated to a large extent, because he, he's, as it were, getting a full unveiled view. The clouds have been removed. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you. You know, it is quite amazing how God has worked abundance of goodness for us. In Jesus Christ, he has gone to the cross, and he continues there, uh, having, risen, uh, having risen from the dead and ascended to heaven, he is still, in a sense, at work for his people as their great high priest at the right hand of the majesty on high, whom, as John puts it, we have as our advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. In verse 20, he says, in the cover of your presence, you hide them from the plots of men. You store them in your shelter from the strife of tongues, covering and storing, protecting, preserving. And then he, he mentions again something of the experience he had in verse 22. I had said in my alarm, I am cut off from your sight, but you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. This is something we need to be assured of, that the Lord hears the prayers of his people in their need. That doesn't mean that he is going to answer our prayers with a snap of his fingers, not necessarily. But he'll give us the grace we need to carry on until such time as he gives us relief from our sufferings. The psalmist's mood of praise is echoed by Paul in his letter to, to the Romans. Uh, and, you know, Paul is, is very expressive uh, when he speaks in these words uh, of, of praise. And uh, who knows the mind 
of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given him given to him that he might be repaired for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever and ever praise Jesus we remember as it is uh, taught for us in the letter to the Hebrews who for the joy before him endured the cross the Lord's people as did David taste of this abundant goodness to some extent here on earth and that is why the Lord's Supper has been provided for the Lord's people in order to give us a physical taste of what God has prepared for us which I has not seen nor has ear heard nor has it entered the heart of anyone we cannot imagine what God has prepared for those who fear him who walk in his ways they tasted now they tasted now but there is greater to be tasted in glory god's promise to his own is a promise that is has been sealed by the blood of christ in the old testament it was pointing to the blood of christ in the form of the blood of animal sacrifice looking ahead to the blood of the lamb of god and here we have again going back to verse 21 here blessed be the lord for he has wondrously shown again his steadfast love to me when i was in this in a besieged city in this uh, uh, hemmed in situation and david senses being out of god's sight but he is always in god's hand and vision you know we often sometimes think well god's not hearing me or god's not taking note of my situation but you if you are a child of god this is what is true of you god knows you behold says the psalmist someone 21 behold he that keeps israel he slumbers not nor sleeps god is always on your watch and even though experiences may may be difficult that is not because god is not there it is because he is there and he is leaving you to show you that you need to cast all your cares on him because he cares for you god i believe in this psalm was testing david's dependence on him and he wondrously hears our prayers and asks us to be patient and because of the psalmist's own experience going through life and in this particular situation he was in he is fully qualified to give an exhortation to us to the lord's people and he said he says in verse verses 23 and 24 at the end of the psalm love the lord all you his saints and this is what in some way we are doing today as we come to the lord's table acknowledging his love for us first of all and acknowledging our love for him in this act of remembrance and there are many other ways in our outward lives 
as we move about from, a, from day to day in our work and leisure, that we can show our love for the Lord. The Lord, he says in verse 23, preserves the faithful but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. As a result of his own experience, he can speak in these ways without hesitation. This is what I've been through. But children of God, brothers and sisters, love the Lord. He is worthy of our love. And I think we very often feel that our love is faint, cold, inactive, fruitless. We feel like Jacob did when he appeared before Pharaoh. Few and evil have the days of my life been. My leanness, my leanness. But we have to look away from ourselves and look to him. Be strong, therefore, he says at the end. Let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. How do we understand the last phrase in that psalm? All you who wait for the Lord. Well, we're waiting for him in the sense of serving him, but especially as it's brought to our attention here, we are doing this, the sacramental remembrance. Do this, he says, in remembrance of me. And in doing it, we are showing the Lord's death until he comes. We're waiting for him in that sense. Love the Lord, he says, and surely that is the essence of the gospel as well. Well, just in conclusion, a few words of exhortation. I think, uh, personally anyway, I find this psalm very helpful in times of difficulty. And I speak that from a per- speak uh, that from a from a personal point of view. God never leaves us without a word of comfort and hope from His Word, real hope, not just the hope spoken of. Perhaps, maybe, what if? But sure, it's a, a, an assured expectation of the promises of God to be fulfilled. Yes, in our difficult circumstances, the light may be small, but the light of the gospel is it's invaluable in a dark situation because whenever that light, even to the extent of a match being lit in total darkness, the darkness doesn't exist anymore to the same degree. There is light in the darkness, Darkness does not remain where the least light shines. So that makes us ask, what is our impossible situation today? What is your impossible situation today? Is it impossible? With God, all things are possible. Look at what he's done for us in the person of Jesus Christ to purchase us, to atone for our sins. What is your situation, your human, is it illness, is it loss, is it relational, is it a sense of shame that you've done something that you're totally embarrassed 
because of it in your life? Is it that you're rebellious against God in the first place? Are you, do you have a sense of that you have gone too far beyond the pale for God to do anything about it? Well, rest assured, God is able. God is able to deliver you, and he will do it in his own time. God is waiting with outstretched arms and hands to help you now and beckon you to place your hand of faith into his hand of salvation forever. The Lord Jesus Christ is your salvation and mine. His sacrificial blood atones for the worst of sins, and his resurrection guarantees life after death to, do, to those who trust in his faithful promises. And there is glory inexpressible, the goodness which you have stored up for those who fear you. Glory inexpressible in the place he has gone to prepare for his own, as the hymn writer calls it. Glory, glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. And as Luther speaks of God, a mighty fortress indeed is our God. Eine feste Burg indeed. What a saviour we have in Jesus. Let's pray. Our loving Father, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord to whom David spoke in that psalm, inspired by God's Holy Spirit and echoing for us to some extent the sufferings of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the abundance of your salvation. We thank you, Lord, for the richness of all that you have done for us through the sacrifice of your Son for us on the cross. Lord, we come to you just now, seeking your blessing upon us and praying that you would accept our thanks and asking you, Lord, to meet with our needs, whatever these may be, as we prepare to come to the Lord's table as your people, grant us that peace of heart and mind, knowing that you are our Father God who loves his children beyond anything we can imagine. So accept us through him, and we ask it in and for his sake. Amen. to come